Right, that is like, I'm not going to be like, oh, I should pursue a career in this. Like, just trust me, that is one and done. Uh, so you're going to want to be here uh, to, to see that. And just please invite a friend. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have a really good evening together. Again, the bizarre Christmas shopping opens up at 4, and then we'll have the chance to um, spend some evening really worshiping God. We really try to make this, the theme of it, the Christmas season, the coming of Christ. So please uh, join us and, and be with us. Uh, next week. I also want to mention the elephant in the room. Yes, I'm trying to grow a beard. Um, so we'll see. Justin Just, Justin Smith told me I look like a man, which I, I don't know how to, how to take that. Um, but I'm going to take it positively, uh, I guess. That's, that's, how, that's how I'm choosing. Uh, for the month of December, uh, we're doing a series called Christmas Promises, where we're thinking about the coming of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I just get excited. I always, during the month of December, just block off this time of preaching to think about um, the message of Christmas, because not only do I think collectively we need it, but I individually, I also need it as well. I need to be reminded of what the coming of Christ means to me as an individual and how that is an ultimate blessing. One of the things that I love about Churches of Christ is that we get the chance to take communion together every week to remember Christ's sacrifice, for us, which is so vitally important. But it's also important for us sometimes to remember that Christ came to earth to choose to be with people who are very much like us, that Christ comes to us in our real lives. That's the promise that we're going to think about today, that in the reality of what life actually looks like in our world, Christ chooses to be with us. Because sometimes we wish that life was a little bit different. When I was on my second date with Mandy, and I told you before, we weren't the kind of people who, like, you know, we were talking until 3 a.m. and closed the coffee shop down. Like, that's not how it was for us, a little bumpy getting going. I didn't have a beard back then, so you can understand, perhaps. Uh, and on the, the second date, uh, we were driving. I still remember exactly where we were. Whenever we passed this part of the freeway, I always remember this. It came up that there was a time in my life when I didn't like Disneyland very much. And yeah, there was a time in my life when I wasn't a big fan. It was partly because when I was in high school, we went on grad night, and it sounds really exciting to go on grad night to Disneyland, but in reality, it's just there's, you think it's going to be like, oh, there's going to be nobody there, you're going to go on all the rides, but no, everybody is there. It's all the high schools from like all over Southern California, and you're sitting there after a little while. I remember sitting at 3 a.m. In, in the, outside this cafe waiting for the bus at 5, and at 3 a.m., nothing seems like a good idea. So we spent a lot of money to really be in the normal lines that are there anyway. And so I said, you know, there's a time in my life when I didn't really like Disneyland. Again, I remember her face um, as she is like wondering, you know, should I jump out of the car now? Or like, what what should happen? Because I think that's probably on the list of like, possibly you might be dating a serial killer. So you want to get, get out of this as, as soon um, as you can. And, and she mentioned something about the Peter Pan ride. And I said, is that a new ride? And it was like, just, it was all um, downhill from there. So there was a time in my life when I wasn't a huge Disneyland person, but I've come around. I've repented. You know, I went through the, the ceremony um, and everything. And it is, it's just, it's a fun place to be. And one of the reasons why I think we love Disneyland is because it's like perfectly manicured, right? Like all the bushes are taken care of correctly. The people who are, are there, the staff members there, they're just excited that you're there. Your favorite like childhood memories, they're just hanging out, just in, enjoying um, that moment. And we can start to think, man, I wish my life was like that. So every few months, it's like, oh, my heart wants to get back to that place, right? I want to go back. And even though it costs like an arm and a leg to get in at this point, we're willing to do it and wait in like hour-long lives for the rides that we really want to do because 
There's just something about it. It's appealing to think of this perfection that we all have in our minds. We wish, perhaps, that our lives were a little bit more like that. And I think we can think in the same way as we come into the Christmas season. We can think of it as this perfect moment. And obviously, it's a very important moment, but the reality of the first Christmas and the reality of us, our Christmases, collectively, they're not perfect. There are things that we perhaps are struggling with. Maybe during this last year, you've had some things happen, and it's hard for you to think about approaching Christmas. And we can have this Disneyland Christmas perspective because all the movies that we watch, it all just wraps up. Like there's usually some sort of conflict that happens, but within an hour and a half or an hour 45 minutes, it's, it's wrapped up and it's solved. Like you see these Christmas movies and Rudolph's birth defect ends up saving Christmas. Buddy the Elf ends up like finding his real family and also like adopting a family and finding a wife that we think. I mean, it's kind of this weird um, situation. Ralphie gets the red rifle. Virginia proves in court that there is a Santa Claus. And so there's some conflict that happens in these movies, but in the end, it's like wrapped up in a perfect bow and everybody seems happy. And in your heart, you think, wow, I wish Christmas was like that for me. I wish that it was a little bit better. I wish I had, like, the perfect family around me. I wish that it was all, like, wrapped up in a bow. But it never really is for us. And you might be thinking, in your experience, you know, I wish I could go back 15 years when, you know, it was at this special place where it used to be, and now it's not there anymore. I wish, like, it was all together with, with our family. Mandy and I have spent um, 10 Christmases uh, together, and in our 10 Christmases, we just realized that we don't think that my brother, my sister, and I have been together for any of them. They live kind of all over uh, the place. So we have gotten to spend time with, with my family, but I also love uh, my, my in-law family. It's a huge blessing uh, for me, but we're getting the chance to go to Switzerland this year, and my brother's coming too, so it's going to be the first time that we're all going to be together for Christmas in, in 10 years. And so if you do the math on that, I probably have about five more of those until I die, like with all of us are actually going to, to be together. And so even if you have like a really great family and experience that you have, there's just somebody that's probably missing from around your table. Maybe they passed away. Maybe it's just that you can't get together with everybody that you wish you could. So as we have these images in our head of what Christmas is, is supposed to be and what we're hoping that it is, when we see sometimes the, the bittersweet realities of what our Christmas is actually like, we can wonder, you know, it's, this really what it's supposed to be? Really, all of our years, if we think about them, maybe you've had a really great year, and if so, that's wonderful. But even if you've had a really great year, there's some sort of bittersweetness to it. I saw this meme pop up several years ago, and I see it every single year. Me trying to get out of two, this one says 2016. But I tell you, I see this meme every single year, basically since I think about 2012 or 2013. And I see somebody posting it every single year, and someone's like, yeah, amen to that, brother or sister. But this is how it feels, isn't it? That there's some good stuff that has happened this year, but in other ways, you're like, I'm just getting out of this thing. You know, I'm still alive, praise God, but I'm going to make it through the rest of this thing. If I just can, can get through December, it's going to be better. In the end, like, there's a lot of weight that happens in, in the year, and there's moments, again, that we would say, wow, I'm really glad for that. I'm so thankful that that happened. But there's also just kind of a, a bittersweetness to life. 
That's why it's important for us to think about the Christmas story, because I think the Christmas story acknowledges that. In fact, a part of the Christmas story that I think oftentimes we think of as, as a footnote is a really important thing that we need to sometimes just pause and think about for a minute. So Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18, that tells us what happens with, with King Herod. Um, it starts with this, When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So again, this is one of those passages that we almost think of as, as a footnote in the Christmas story, and then we get on to, okay, what happened and what's going on? And we think of Jesus as like the central character, and obviously Jesus is the central character of this story, but it's like, all right, well, Jesus dodged it, so okay. Think about everybody else. Historians estimate that in that area, Bethlehem and its, its vicinity, different estimates are there, but up to perhaps 40 boys were killed. Maybe a little more. Maybe a little less. But 40 baby boys. It's one of those things you just go, whoa. That's heavy. And as we think about just this part of, of this story, something to recognize is the real story of Christmas was exceptionally hard for a lot of people. It's one of those things that obviously in that moment as you deal with weight like that, I mean, those people aren't in a celebratory mood. They are in a, a mood where they are sad, where they're grieving, when they're crying out to God, saying, God, where are you right now? What is happening? What, what, what is going on? So if this Christmas is, is difficult for you, if it's hard, you have some company. And as we think about this, this event, this horrific thing that Matthew tells us happened, and it's just part of kind of this larger prophecy, it feels a little bit too real in some ways, right? It feels a lot like the world that we live in. Does anybody else brace themselves in watching the evening news? Or you wake up and you're a little afraid to look at your phone because you're afraid of like what might have happened in some part of the world? And here are some headlines just from the last six weeks. that's just the last six weeks, and that's not all like the bad headlines that there were from this last six weeks. 
and I made sure to have one from CNN and one from Fox News. So whichever one is fake news, um, you can... And couldn't you almost see that a headline pops up on your news feed or you're watching a news network and it says 40 young boys killed by a tyrannical king? And couldn't you see that? As this story is, is introduced, I think one part of it is it's communicating that Jesus is born and enters into just another day in a broken world. A world that's messed up. A world that if we're honest, we wish was different at times. That we wish there was something we could have done. There was, we wish there was something that could be fixed. We wish that natural disasters didn't occur. We, we wish that we could do something about gun violence. We wish there wasn't as much racism that exists. We wish, like we have all these hopes and dreams, but it's like these things just keep stacking on themselves. So I think it's in some ways just telling us that this story of Christmas is very real. That God chooses to enter into a broken world. To recognize that this is truly what God is like, that God chooses to enter into situations like this. This is the way that God continues to work. But even as that is, is true, we still have a certain perspective of hope that we cling to. The passage that is referenced in Matthew 2, uh, chapter 18, it's a reference to Jeremiah 31, and the, Matthew quotes part of Jeremiah uh, 31. But 31, in the chapter, chapter 31 in Jeremiah, it continues from that point. He, he quotes a part of it, but oftentimes what's helpful is to go and read some of the surrounding passages around that quote to help us to understand what Matthew was trying to help us to see. And so he writes about the the weeping that is happening. But then in verses 16 and 17, uh, Jeremiah says this, Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy, so there is hope for your descendants, declares the Lord. Your children will return to their own land. If you could just get that, that one phrase right there. Wouldn't it help you a little bit if you could just hear that God sees what's happening in your life and God knows that it's a struggle. God knows that it's difficult for you. Sometimes it's hard for you to put one foot in front of the other, to wake up out of bed. It's difficult for you, but your work will be rewarded. God sees. God knows that what you are doing for the good of the world and, and, and fighting and being persistent in hope, even when it seems broken, even when things seem messed up, like it's not really ever going to be better, but if you continue to pour your heart into the good work of the world, God sees it. God sees your tears and understands. God knows what life is really like. And yet God chooses to send Jesus into the world in a world that is very much 
like ours. The hope of God enters a world that is like ours. In the struggle of life, God chooses to be with us. We see this from the beginning of Christ's birth in the context of that story and what's happening in this. And then we see it as Jesus' life continues. And I don't want to minimize that there are a lot of joyous moments in Jesus' life. He has a a good number of of good friends. He has some, some moments that he experiences I would argue some great joy and some opportunities to really be with people. And I I love how Jesus is so often learning and and highlighting outsiders. Like it's people that you wouldn't expect that Jesus is like, actually, it's, it's this outsider, this Gentile who gets it. And all you Jewish people don't get it. He has all these great moments where he gets to experience the joy that God has called him to. But also we see that Jesus experiences the kind of pains, the things that we all collectively experience from time to time. Maybe you have an issue physically that's hard for you to deal with, a chronic issue that is just really difficult for you to understand every single day. John 19 tells us that Jesus experiences that pain. That Jesus knows what it's like. Then we see the pain of the cross as well. Jesus experiences physical pain. Or as Jesus goes to be with his friend Lazarus and he recognizes the the pain that people are experiencing and actually the the Greek word that is used there is basically like that Jesus is angry at death because he sees the way that death affects the people around him and it tells us that Jesus in that moment as he pauses before he raises Lazarus from the dead he weeps he weeps with those who mourn if you're mourning during this holiday season for whatever reason. Jesus knows what that's like. Maybe you're gathered around your, your holiday table, and as I've talked about, there's people who aren't there, who were always there before for different kinds of reasons. Maybe you can't be together with the people who are most important to you, or maybe you just have, have some issues that have gone on. Maybe you've lost someone during this last year. Maybe your family's just weird, and it's complicated, and it's hard to be together. There's a new Heineken commercial. I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, this guy walks into like what clearly is his family like holiday gathering, and it gives captions for each of the people. The first one he sees is is dad, and then the second one is is mom. And like, all right, this is looking pretty normal. And then it's like mom's new boyfriend, and he's like over there like painting on this thing. He looks like a very strange character. And as the person like continues to walk through this holiday party, it just gets like weirder and weirder. Um, who all is at this thing? Maybe that's how your family feels. Perhaps it is just an odd bit of a collection. Jesus experienced that too, the, the, the conflict that exists in his family. In the beginnings of his ministry in Mark, it tells us this, that um, Jesus' family says that he's out of his mind. His family. And eventually there's, there's a reversal on this, and James, the brother of Jesus, writes the, the book of James. That might be the, the best evidence that there is, that Jesus was, was very real and is who he says he was. First of all, because there was at least at the beginning a difference of opinion on that. And then eventually he turns around and he actually is, is claiming that he was the Messiah. And what would your brother have to do to prove to you that he's the Messiah? He'd have to do quite a bit, probably. 
But James eventually is convinced and writes a letter that's very practical about how to live as Christians in the world. He's one of the first leaders of the early church. Jesus had his family at one point say, he's out of his mind. You ever felt like you've let down your family or your family feels broken? Jesus knows what that's like. Maybe during this holiday season, you're feeling the the pressure of, of financial needs, that you're in a great amount of debt, or you're trying to figure out a certain financial issue that you have, as that one headline said, that 15% of the GM um, workforce is supposed to be laid off, and people are wondering about what's going to happen um, with that situation. If you have financial needs or issues, Jesus talks about how he has no place to lay his head. He lives, basically, we might call as, as a vagrant, you know, going from town to town. confident in God, but often unsure what's going to happen for the next meal. Jesus felt abandoned by God in Mark 15. He cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachna, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me here in this situation? Maybe you're feeling like that during this Christmas season, that there's something that's going on in your life, and you just say, why, why is this happening? What is going on? This feels so out of control. Jesus knows what this is like. But this is the world that God entered into. And as Jesus comes into the world, a tyrannical king does something again like we might see on the evening news. And so if your life right now isn't like Disneyland or your Christmas isn't necessarily going to be like Disneyland, there is still strength and comfort even in that pain. And ultimately, we get to recognize, I think, that God knows what this is like. C.S. Lewis says this this way, which I think is just, just brilliant. Friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. And that's so true, that people who've been through, like, the difficult things that you now are experiencing, it's them who maybe even if it's just, like, two months in the future, they can say, oh, yeah, that two months ago, that was horrible. But let me tell you what this is like. Or maybe it's someone who experienced this already five, five years down the line is able to say, yeah, that's really, really difficult, but let me give you some wisdom as I've journeyed with this a little bit. Or hopefully you've had the opportunity to do that as well with your own situation that you've been able to surround somebody who's in a difficult season and put an arm around them and say, I, I get it. I know what this is like. The Christmas story, in a very real way, is saying God knows what it's like to have these headlines just kind of continue to come at you, and you're just not even sure what to do with it, but God chooses to enter into a broken world. And then maybe even more oddly, God then says through Jesus that the church is supposed to continue to uphold the will, the things that God calls us to in the world, which seems like a super odd way to do it. I mean, think about it. If you were God, put yourself in that seat for a minute, how would you like say, all right, I want to continue that this work in the world? You'd probably want to like stay here, right, and make sure, you know, kind of be in charge, make sure everybody like does all this. 
But Jesus says that the church is the bride. Like this is this is who God chooses to work. And God, you'd think, could have formed like some sort of perfect thing, but instead he chooses to establish something that's human, frail, and imperfect. And that's true. Yet the Christian church, even though it is frail, imperfect, and broken at times, still exists all over the world. God enters into broken situations and and works through sometimes struggling, imperfect people to still do the things of God in the world. We believe that could be true about your life. That even as things aren't, aren't perfect, as things maybe aren't even as you would want them to be, you could go to God because this is what Jesus is. Jesus came to earth to live like this to be with us as we really are. So during this Christmas season, maybe it's the first time that someone in your family who's really important to you won't be there. Maybe it's the first time that your your parents are separated and you're figuring that out. Maybe you just don't feel much joy. Maybe you feel like you haven't arrived at a certain point in your life. God is with you there. God chooses to be with us as things really are. And even in that, God chooses to say, I know that it's difficult and it's hard for you, but your work will be rewarded. What you are doing matters. It's seen. It's important. And even though as you try to do good in the world, and sometimes it feels like you're just throwing rocks at an ocean, it's making a difference. It will be Rewarded. So as you come into this season, I'd just like you to think about from this last year, what is your headline? If you had to write a newspaper about your last year, what would your headline be? And again, it's going to be bittersweet for all of us that there's going to be some things that we would say, yeah, I'm, I'm really celebratory about this. And, and maybe you're in a season where you're mostly celebratory and praise God for that. Like, go watch some Christmas movies and just love it. But for those of us who have had a struggle in this last year, it's been difficult. And you might say, you know, I'm going to always remember 2018 for this. And you're like that kid straining to get out of 2018. Just know that whatever your headline happens to be, God is with you there. God is with you in in your pain. God is with you in your joy. And the promise that we see in Jeremiah is, yes, there's weeping, but God sees the work. It matters. Continue to press into the promises that I have for you, even in the midst of dysfunction and heartache and difficulty. I choose to be with you there. Because I understand. I know. And I can give you strength. As we close today, we're going to sing the, the fantastic hymn. It's not a Christmas song, but the song, I Need Thee Every Hour. It's just one of the most simple, yet I think profound messages that if we could just get into our hearts during this season.
that as we think about the things that we would celebrate from this last year and as we think about the things that were hard for us during this last year, as we kick off a bit this Christmas season here on December 2nd, may we recognize that we need God in all things. Let's stand together.